This is the BBC. This podcast is supported by advertising outside the UK. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts. Classic View from the Boundary on the TMS Podcast. Hello, welcome to another Classic View from the Boundary from Test Match Special, our series celebrating 40 years of interviews with stars from all sorts of backgrounds who all share a love of cricket. Well, this episode is one of the real greats and comes from 1987. Sir Christopher Lee was, without question, one of the true titans of British cinema. In a career that spanned the whole second half of the 20th century and then well into the 21st, Lee's remembered for his performances in over 200 major films, notably as Dracula in the Hammer Horror series, as well as in James Bond, The Wicker Man and The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Well, during a horribly rain-affected match against Pakistan that saw just one innings, Sir Christopher came to the old commentary box at Lords above the pavilion and took a seat next to Brian Johnston. Stand by for an enchanting half an hour. Welcome back to Lords, where our visitor today was once described as tall, dark and gruesome, uh, which is a rather unfair description of Christopher Lee, famous unfairly again, I think, for his um, parts in horror films, but is a very fine actor and he's... Uh, uh, certainly tall, he's certainly dark, but there's no sign of any gruesome. Very nice to see you, Christopher. Thank you, Brian. It's and you're immaculately dressed, your eyes had tie on and all now that. That's in memory of uh, happier days, of better days of cricket, I can assure you. Just uh, bring us up to date with your cricket yourself. I mean, when did you play at school? You were at School of Wellington. Yes, uh, I started um, to learn cricket at my prep school, which was Summerfields. Oh, yes, uh, at Oxford. At Oxford, yeah. yes, indeed. And I think that's where I was taught to play. Um, Unfortunately, the bursar, as I think they were called in those days, of Summerfields, who was a very good bowler, Mr. Botell, I remember him vividly, <laughs> um, was an extremely good bowler, but he had a rather strange action, which unfortunately, as one does at a very early age, I then proceeded to copy. And uh, it's an action which was shared by Mike Proctor and Max Walker. In other words, it was rather right. like a windmill, and I bowled off the wrong foot, swinging my arms over twice. But you are six foot something. Six, six foot, foot four. So foot when four. I got uh, going, and I did open the bowling at, at uh, my public school as well on occasions, when I got going, if I kept any kind of length, uh, they used to come up fairly high off the pitch, and I was fairly quick. The demon leave. Oh, absolutely, yes. So, so yes. you played for Wellington? I on occasions did, yes. And uh, the highest score I ever had in my life was while I was at Wellington, but not playing for the college. I had 149 not out. And came into the pavilion and burst into tears because I didn't make 150. Marvellous, isn't it? <laughs> and did you keep it up after school or not? Or... No, I was a little thing called World War II, which inconveniently intervened in 1939. I'd just left school about a year before. I was what was called, I suppose, in those days, a promising cricketer. I went in about four or five and fancied myself a lot, of course. You know, everybody <laughs> used to say, what marvellous style when they saw me in the nets. Superb. Elegance of stroke play. It was very different when I got in the middle. Well, it I was often is, so it? concerned <laughs> in making these magnificent looking shots that I seldom scored enough runs. And uh, Royal Air Force, you couldn't fit in a plane, you're too big. Were, oh, no, were I pilot? have been known to do that. Yeah. I have been known to do that. Uh, actually, well, my cricketing career did continue during the war to a very minor degree. In fact, uh, I suppose the greatest moment of my whole life in the game of cricket was when my squadron, 260 Squadron in the Desert Air Force, had a game of cricket against. I think it was one of the other squadrons on the wing, in fact it must have been, playing on a rather bizarre pitch, to put it mildly, that's to say in the desert, which had been flattened and rolled and had some matting put down, and I took nine wickets. 
I should think of, I think of lethal. Oh, well, I didn't know what the ball was going to do any more than anybody else. <laughs> but it was the only game that I can remember during the war. After the war, I still continued to play and played again about 1947, 48, 49, 50, when I virtually stopped playing. Uh, I, of course, have never given up my love for the game, and I watch it as often as I can all over the world. Yes, what about watching? Go right back to when you... What, what was your first big match? Do you remember the first one you saw? I think I can. It's very difficult because it's a long time ago. It's at least 55 years ago, I hate to tell you, but it is. And it was while I was at my prep school and we watched a match played at Oxford. And I'm absolutely certain that Jack Hobbs was batting. Marvelous. Now, whether I'm right him. or not, uh, I can't clearly recall, but I do know that I saw Jack Hobbs bat and many of his great contemporaries. It might have been Surrey against Oxford or something yeah. of that kind. And I certainly, of course, remember the pre-war uh, Australian teams vividly. I remember Bradman as if he was walking out in front of me now. Uh, the one thing I remember about him, and of course, naturally, after the war as well, the one thing I remember about Bradman was the first time I ever saw him hit the ball. And that was his famous pull shot to the yeah. boundary from outside the off stump. I'd never seen a shot played like that. When I attempted to replace it, of course, uh, with, with an equally, perhaps even a better shot, I was sternly ordered by the games master not to try such rubbish, but to keep a straight bat. I know, it's rotten, and his uses go right down to sort of lock oh, on there. I like it, it's beautiful. Light. Yeah, he, he was very quick to get in position. Oh, yeah, most wonderful footwork of any batsman I've ever seen. Well, the other, other great player in that time I was lucky enough to see too was Wally Hammond. Did you see oh, him? Oh, yes, many, many times. Many, many times. I met him several times. Actually, uh, I had a very great friend, a very dear friend, Bev Lyon, who was captain of Gloucestershire oh, yes. at one time. And uh, he and Hammond, of course, used to play together. And he told me a wonderful story once about uh, the... Gloucester scorecard. In fact, this used to happen regularly throughout every season. Frequently, when Charlie Parker was bowling, uh, the scorecard would read, Court Lion bowled Parker many, many times, because Bev used to feel at second slip, and Wally Hammond at first. Well, as everybody who knows anything about cricket knows, Wally Hammond's one of the great slip fielders of all time. He was so fast that he took the ball and literally flicked it. <laughs> out of the back of his hand to Bev, who threw it up in the air, and so it, it always went down as Courtland Bolt Park. Because, I mean, your acting took over, did it, really? I mean, mm. As soon as you left, did you start straight away off leaving school? No, no, not acting, at all. No, I left do? school in 38, and yeah. in 39 oh, I, I, I went into various strange parts of the world. And then Had you 41, done any acting before the war? No, never. Never? In 41, well, school play, yeah. you know. Uh, when I was at Summerfields, I was in uh, three plays, I think, the other actor who was with me and is still very much alive, a contemporary of mine, is now an American citizen and lives in Palm Springs, Patrick McNee. Oh, yeah. And he played um, Brutus and I played Cassius <laughs> and Julius Caesar. And then he played um, Bolingbroke and I played Mowbray and Richard II. And he went on to Eton, didn't so he? Yes, he did. He yes. Eaton and and um, he's still a follower of cricket. But... No, uh, my cricketing career came to an end, really, with the outbreak of the war, and then I tried to take it up, but only just at weekends for fun after the war, from 46 onwards. Played a bit for the next two or three years. Played in a marvellous place at Birkenhead, I remember, the Bowler Hat Club. I don't know that. Oh, yes, I played for a team that Trevor Howard got together, all stage and screen people, um, against... Uh, 
must have been a Lancaster team because Ken Cranston was the captain and Jack Eichen was playing and various other people. Ken. I'll never forget the expression on Trevor's face when I said, boldly, I will open the bowling, <laughs> charged towards the crease and with this rather strange bowling action as my first... <laughs> My first arm went over. My first arm movement went over. I caught my hand on my right hip. And as my second arm went over, so to speak, there was nothing in the hand. And the batsman looked wildly round. Just a twirling arm. Well, just a twirling arm. He didn't know what had happened to the ball, nor did anybody, until it was retrieved from the boundary behind me. It was a moment of great shame. Oh, awful. What, you slung it back? It went straight back towards the boundary behind me. Uh, And Trevor's face was a study. That would have been a dead ball, I suppose. I suppose so. Trevor's face, I think, would have preferred (laughs) perhaps a dead... Bowler. Trevor used to play a bit for me. He was a jolly good cricketer. Oh, yes, and, and, and of course, fanatically uh, involved in the game. And I'm sure he's watching... Well, there's nothing to watch, alas, at the he moment. Does, alas, he, he doesn't come up here so often. He used to be regularly up here, you know. And the, oh, yes, I used the to special tours, his contract, he couldn't film yes, during, during the Lord's Test match. Uh, there was, I believe, a similar clause in the contract. Boris Karloff, who was a tremendously keen cricketer and played yes. for the famous Aubrey Smith team in Hollywood many years ago before the war, and indeed Aubrey Smith's contract too, that if they came and worked in this country, they would, under no circumstances, be expected to work during the Lord's Test. There's a marvellous story about Aubrey Smith, who was known as Round the, the Corner Smith because right, yeah. he used to appear from behind the umpire and was a very good player. Mm. And I believe Captain uh, touring D- MCC team. Captain England in South Africa. In South Africa, yep. that's right. Well, he apparently was sitting just below us watching some game going on out in the middle. I don't know what it was. And predictably, of course, he was snorting through his moustache and mm. saying, Oh, good oh, God, take him off, God, oh, my <laughs> God. What a player. Look at that field placing, the usual sort yeah. of remarks. He was then at the height of his fame as an actor, had been knighted and had played the Duke of Wellington and everything you can think of. It was in every British film or British yeah. subject made in Hollywood in those days, and everyone in the world knew him. Apparently, two rather elderly members were listening to this tirade that was going on and were getting a little bit um, disgruntled about it. And one of them finally turned to the other and he said, Who's that fellow over there making all that noise? And the other man looked over and he said, oh, yes, he's a fellow called Smith, used to play for Sussex. <laughs> Lovely, isn't it? <laughs> and, of course, Boris Karloff used to be a regular at the Oval at all the test yep. matches. He was a member yep. of Surrey, wasn't he? Yes, he also used to come here a lot. In fact, I've watched matches with him here. And uh, he played for Uppingham when he was at school there. Just remind us what his real name was. William Henry Pratt. William Henry Pratt. Very yes. advisable to change that. <laughs> well, I suppose so, yes. Well, I, I've never found out, and I don't think anyone has ever found out, where Karloff came from. Boris always said it was in the family somewhere. But we've never really known. I remember asking his <laughs> widow, Evie Karloff, who was still very much alive. Mm. I remember saying to her, are you Boris's fifth wife? Mm. She said, as far as I know, <laughs> because he was certainly married five times and possibly more. Yes. And there's a shroud of mystery hangs over yeah. that, very appropriate. He looked very distinguished, though, didn't oh, he? Oh, he was a wonderful uh, man. Uh, uh, so can we stick to Hollywood at the moment? And you were there, I mean, you've lived there for ten years and you've yes. come back now. Um, mm. Was there any cricket going on nowadays? Oh, yes, quite a bit, oh, yeah. uh, as a matter of fact. A lot of people, you see, there's a lot of uh, West Indians there, yeah. quite a lot of Pakistanis and people from countries that play cricket, like Fiji mm. and various other places in the Pacific. And there's quite a lot of teams out there, and they play regularly on Saturdays and Sundays. I had a rather incredible experience, really, because I hadn't played cricket for well over 30 years. And Norman Gifford, I forget exactly when, I think it was about four or five years ago, brought a team out. They were touring around the world. And I found myself 
playing on matting in the Rose Bowl at Pasadena, which of course normally is used for football matches. And it was uh, a wonderful experience for me to be out there again with a bat in my hand. Uh, the years rolled back up to a point. And the team was a very remarkable one because uh, apart from Norman Gifford, he had uh, Glenn Turner, he had um, Graham Gooch, he had David Gower, he had Ian Botham. No, not a bad as well. Not bad, <laughs> Jeff Miller and, and various others. And uh, it was great fun. And I was very grateful to Mr Barlow because he kept on bowling me long hops on the leg stump. And even the Americans with their baseball swings could score off those from time to time. So you were among the runs, were you, that day? Yes, I made a few runs, believe it or not. I remember trying to execute a late cut. But when um, Aubrey Smith played, was there a club or did he? what sort of ground did they play on? Was there... They played on a ground in a place called Griffith Park, which still exists. I don't think there's a cricket pitch there anymore. There might be, but I don't think so. I don't think they had any specific name no. as a team, but of course he was the captain and a very unforgiving one too. Was I he actually oh, very tough? He, made he, he, he looked terribly fierce, didn't he? Oh, yes. And, uh, Nig- David Nevin, Basil Rath, Nigel, and Nigel Bruce. Bruce. Willie Bruce always used to, um, I think he kept wicket, but he always used to play golf in a brown felt hat. He refused flatly to play in anything else. Apart from his pads and his yes. boots and his trousers and his <laughs> shirt, of course. But he always wore a brown felt hat. And if you look closely at the pictures of those days, you will see that brown hat either on the ground or in his lap. Oh, Wouldn't be parted from it. The one or two people who wore brown felt hat, the T.C. Larry of Somerset used to wear one. Really? And he kept wicket, yes. A, a, really? a brown well, perhaps, felt hat. When was that? Oh, way back. This is 1927, 28, 29. Well, oh, maybe Willie Bruce, Nigel Bruce, he uh, may, borrowed may, the idea. <laughs> he, he may have done. I remember Boris used to tell very, very funny stories about uh, these matches because Aubrey Smith, I said, was a great dictator. Yeah. If you didn't make some runs or hold a few catches, you were shamed almost forever. In fact, his house at the top of Coldwater Canyon had an exact replica of Father Time here oh, on no. the roof as a oh, weather vane. Yeah. Oh, yes, he used to fly the MCC flag and all sorts of things. <laughs> but Boris used to tell us very funny stories about um, uh, Aubrey. One in particular, when he suddenly said to his field for no particular reason, spread out, spread out, this next man coming in is a holy terror. Spread out. So the entire field spread out to the boundary. And in came a very ancient gentleman indeed <laughs> who wandered up to the wicket and waved rather feebly at the ball. And at the end of the over, um, somebody said to Aubrey, well, what was all that about, Aubrey? And he wasn't going to let on. He said, well, when I remember him, he used to hit everybody all over the field. Of course, that must have been about 50 years before. Yeah, probably his social side. You didn't see any fielders at all. <laughs> yes, uh, exactly. There's a chap like that who used to come down and play against Wellington when I was playing there called Jerry Weigel. Oh, Jerry Weigel. Very, very famous. He used to player. demonstrate with his umbrella in the long room here. Indeed, he did. He and C.B. Fry. That's I think right. Both of tremendous them. arguments. Well, he actually, I saw him play before the war against Wellington as an OW, yeah. as an O Wellingtonian, and he made runs, and he must have been 70 then. Yeah. And, I mean, I don't think they were bowling flat out at him, but I remember he was dab here and a dab there. But I've seen him giving demonstrations in the long room, marvellous off-drives with his umbrella. G.J.V. Weigel. G.J., yes. you good on initials, I'm marvellous on them. Sometimes, yes. telephone numbers too, but uh, not names as a rule. Uh, just back to the Hollywood thing, did Ronald Coleman play, or was it only in raffles? He bowled in raffles, do you remember? In, bowled in a cap, Ronald Coleman did. Did yes. he actually play in real I life? I believe, well, I think I've seen a picture of him in mm. flannels as to whether he played or not, I don't know. Errol Flynn played, David Niven played, Basil Rathbun played, Bruce Karloff, Smith, and from time to time, the occasional Englishman whose name I might forget from time to time, who was, you know, an actor out there, because there were a great many in those days, would 
play in these Tims on pain of instant <laughs> banishment, practically, from California. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately, I never saw any of those matches, of course, although I was alive when they were played. I wasn't living out there. No, there's still a certain amount of cricket being played out there. Uh, back, back here now, I mean, do you ever watch cricket or do you watch it on the telly or do you...? Oh, yes. I always try and come here to Lord's for a test, obviously, yeah. and if possible on a Saturday or during the week if I'm free. Otherwise, I must admit, I do watch on television. And this is where the game has changed, of course, to such an immense degree since the days when I first started watching it. Uh, by literally being there on the ground and now watching it on the box for obvious reasons. There are great improvements. That is to say, uh, you can see a thing much, in much bigger close-up. You can see the way the ball moves, which you can't necessarily see on the ground, both through the air and off the ground. You can see the batman's foot, batsman's footwork perhaps a little bit more clearly. You can certainly see in the replays how somebody got out and uh, what the ball did, which you could never do in those days, of course. Um, I think it's a great blessing to millions of people who would otherwise never be able to watch cricket at all because they wouldn't have the time or perhaps even the inclination depending on where they live in going to a cricket ground yes it's changed a bit hasn't it actually oh yes i mean i was just going to say one of the major changes in television of course is i suppose in umpiring decisions because no umpire is 100 percent infallible as no. everybody knows and they make mistakes like anybody else and, uh, I mean, some of the decisions that were made, for instance, last winter out in Australia, in some of those matches, were a bit bizarre. And it was quite clear in the replays that the umpire was yeah. wrong. We talked well, about that earlier perfect. this morning, that really you shouldn't show the replay because they no, booed because, the umpire. Yes, and I think that's wrong because he's doing the best he can. Yeah. And he's the only person who can really judge better yeah. than anybody else. And you have a second look. You see it, then you have a second look. The umpire's wrong quite clearly on occasions. And, of course, it can create a lot of bad feelings. That's the disadvantage of television. Mm. But they probably always were. I mean, the great Frank Chester, I'm sure, made well, mistakes, but you didn't see everybody. Uh, he does. would never admit to one. Yeah, oh, no. <laughs> sure. Like big. Alex Skelding was that, of course, uh, the famous uh, umpire, wasn't uh, he? he? Wasn't he the one who, when somebody said to him, Skelding, that wasn't out, he said, read tomorrow's paper. Read tomorrow's paper. Wasn't yes. that Alex Skelding? <laughs> yes, there I is. I think it was. Yes, I think he did. There was also the, the village umpire who said that, didn't he? As the uh, batsman went past him and said, that wasn't out, and the umpire said, well, look in Thursday's Gazette. And the batsman said, you look, I'm the editor. Oh, really? Oh, I have heard that one. That's an extra twist on it. Well, that's marvellous. But they were great characters, of course, yeah. those people. Well, who umpired in Hollywood, then? Did they find anybody who knew about no cricket idea. umpire? Quite frankly, I have no idea Perhaps at all. they did him might, might have got on quite well. Maybe. I have no, really no idea. Yeah. Uh, you were talking about the changes in the game. I think there are two major changes in the game. One, again, I'm only speaking entirely personally and as a watcher of the game I love and have loved all my life. One is the intimidation involved. Yeah, that's bad. Which is now got to a peak where uh, people's lives are in danger, as they have mm. been for some years anyway. Uh, and the other is that I don't think, again, I could be wrong, one is always inclined to look back. I don't think there are as many players today that you could really define as great no, players gr as opposed to very fine players. Obviously, somebody like Viv Richards is a great player. Obviously, uh, Gary Sobers a, a great player and so on. And uh, Michael Holding, a great bowler. And of course, from this country too and from all over the world. To me, the, the outstanding all-rounder today is Richard Hadley. Marvellous bowler, isn't he? Wonderful bowler. Because uh, he Wonderful comes in at number seven and, and hits and, the and, and murders the bowling, yes. But how many great, truly great 
players are there? Where is Bradman's successor, or indeed McCabe's? Well, I suppose Gavisco is a sort of Bradman's successor well, on to. paper, but not the same. On paper, certainly, um, in terms of his records. Uh, as records. an accumulator. But uh, I think you and I were lucky to see some of the great... I mean, the Hendrons and the Hobbses and oh, the yeah. Woolies. And, oh, but yeah. I may be in um, ten years' time, people will say, you know, wasn't it marvellous we saw the Bothams, we saw the oh, yes. and all oh, yes. that, and I'm sure. how great they were, and well, now it's great today. I was lucky enough to see the man who, to my way of thinking, was undoubtedly the greatest fast bowler I've ever seen, and I suppose in many respects some people would agree that he was the greatest of all. Did you going to say Limbaugh? Har no, Harold, Harold Larwood. Did you? Uh, I yeah. saw him. Uh, Lindwall would secondly be, yeah. uh, would certainly be rather in second Did place, if not you almost have seen equal him in a first. Test, would you hear? No, you no, him? no, I never saw him in a test. But I did see him bowl, and uh, it was quite phenomenal. I went to see him this winter. Oh, really? In Sydney, yes, I he know. He's and he won't go because he feels embarrassed because he doesn't recognise people. But he, he's in lovely form and he just talks and talks of the old days. Of course, days. they love him in Australia, oh, yeah. don't they? And they have done for years. And his loyalty to Jardine. And all oh, yes, oh, yes. Would you do it again? I said, he said, only for Mr Jardine. Really? Only for Mr Jardine. Well, you know, that's loyalty. Which, which is loyalty. But he was a phenomenal bowler. I mean, I'd never seen anything to better the run-up, the action, the delivery, the pace, the accuracy. Because he's shrunk now, as we all yeah, do. Well, he was never a huge he, he was very broad big. shoulders. Yes, he well, he was a minor, the minor shoulders, you see. Uh, I think the best off spinner I ever saw was probably Tayfield. Terry Tayfield. Terry Tayfield. His two yeah. mid-ons. He had mid-ons of a short. That mid I don't remember. But yes, I remember that. I remember the, the tapping of tapping the toe. The toe. And everything. He oh, was yeah. very, very accurate. Didn't spin it a lot, but very accurate and difficult to get away. I remember seeing Dennis Compton play when Dennis was in his best form, and I mean, he just hit it into the off field, and he had a very big off field. He used to build well outside the off stump, and Dennis couldn't penetrate the field at all. He was, he was very difficult to get away. Very accurate. Can we abandon cricket for a moment and just talk about the acting? I mean, you've mm. got this reputation. Did you go straight into the horror films? No, 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 I not mean, at all. That's no, why as I think it's fact, unfair. Do you mind being associated with horror films? Well, I, yes and no. Let's put it this way. I mean, I've done them, not as many as people think, and they were instrumental in my beginning an international career, so I can never, ever turn my back on them. Not that I wish to. No. Uh, I started as an actor in 1947, and uh, one of the reasons why you refer to me as tall, dark, and gruesome <laughs> is that I am tall. I'm six foot four. In the first ten years of my career, I never got a job of any consequence because people said he's much too tall. You know, we can't have him towering over the leading men, not the leading Le ladies, the leading men. men. Oh. Even the so-called giants of six foot two and three were felt smaller beside me, and also because I'm very thin, may have looked even taller. In actual fact, that's nonsense. It's because I've been in a lot of pictures, 162 to be precise. And, and uh, uh, that's a staggering number. It's a rather it? large number. It's more than anybody alive today, a British actor anyway. And um, so I've had many people come up to me all over the world saying, I didn't realize you were so tall. So that blows that theory <laughs> out of the window. I started uh, 10 years later in 1957 by doing the first film for Hammer, which was a horror movie called The Curse of Frankenstein. Okay, since then... What were you then? You, you were the, the creature. Yeah, that? that's right. Well, you got well, it right. Well, Amazing. Most people call it the monster. Think, no, no, it was a mummy. A uh, mummy. <laughs> that was very uncomfortable. Uh, it was in the mummy as well. <laughs> oh, that was murder, because I, I tore muscles in my neck and shoulders and everything, carrying these ladies distances of 85 yards and things like that again and again and again, and they couldn't hold on to me because they were supposed to be unconscious. And so they were dead weights. You try that sometime you know, with your arms yeah. extended. And, and what did the uh, creature do? I mean, you were sort of revived off a table and the sparks came out of you and things. Oh, like all there. sorts of things put together from bits and pieces of other people. And I mean, what, what, was it painful or was it physically... No, it was very unpleasant on occasions, of course, because, uh, you know, when you've got that kind of makeup on, it can be painful. 
and when you're swathed in bandages, you can't move, <laughs> and somebody's just walled you up and they cry out lunch, it can be even worse. <laughs> but, but the Dracula business, I mean, I don't know how many Dracula films. I've got Six it down. In Satanic years. Rites of Dracula, Dracula, Prince mm. of Darkness, mm. Dracula uh, Rises from the Grave, mm. The Taste of the Blood of Dracula. Mm. I mean, no, no comment. No comment. No. No, but you're no always you were killed by spears through the eyes or into the heart. Yes, invariably. What happened? I mean, do they? I mean, well, I still got the scars <laughs> <laughs> to prove it. In fact, uh, a lot of misconception about this. In fact, out of all those pictures that I've made, I've only made 15 horror movies. I played Dracula six times. Uh, in you the Frankenstein thing was well, that's compliment. And you've got you. a delightful set of teeth now. I mean, did you ever have all mine? They all yours. Yes. What about the fangs which we used to see? Those oh, tiny, minute, minute, barely visible in actual but, fact. But they were, people used to get distorted ideas. It's like that wonderful film Rosemary's Baby, which is the best horror film I've ever seen. Mm. I've had hundreds of people all over the world describe that baby to me in graphic detail. Its slanted eyes, its clawed talons. For hands, its tail, its hooves. You never saw it, of course. <laughs> Ever. It's what you don't see rather than what you do see. Leave it to the imagination of the audience. Yes. Lon Chaney said that to Boris Karloff. Boris Karloff said it to me. I said it to other people, although I think I'm pretty well the end of the line here. Uh, and I haven't done a picture of that kind, actually, since 1971, which is 16 years ago. No. If you ask me who's the greatest actress I've ever worked well, with, yes. that's an easy one. Betty Davis. Really? Oh, yes. I mean, by, by a mile. Oh, what a wonderful she... woman. Yes. Tremendous integrity as a person. And was she un unselfish as an actress? Or did she wonderful to me. Absolutely she... wonderful to me, yes. I couldn't have had a more thrilling time. Made a picture for Walt Disney, all about children who could levitate people. Oh, yeah. And um, I was levitated about 40 feet into the air <laughs> on a very thin wire above the floor of a power station. You can have rather well, weird things happen to you in this business. The first picture I did after I went to Los Angeles to live in 75 was a thing called Airport. 77, I think it was. And uh, I spent three days, 30 feet underwater, drowning with a lead belt around my waist. And they, when they take away the thing you can see through and they take away the thing you can breathe through, you're on your own, you can't see anything, and you have to close your throat because no bubbles must come out, otherwise it's a living actor. So I yeah. spent three days doing that, as a result of which I was made a member of the American Stuntmen's Association. And I think I probably earned that more than anything else. Uh, one other thing I endeared you to me, not just the fact you love cricket, but I read somewhere that you like your favourite dishes are roly-poly pudding oh, and spotted it. dick. Oh, I adore them both. So, I mean, are you a great uh, English food yes. chap? You see, I am. Almost a food freak, because I happen to think that we have some of the best food, I choose my words carefully, some of the best food in yeah. the world. I can't say that we have some of the best cooking, no. which is rather a different thing. But I don't think anything in the world can beat a really good English meal, really well cooked. I mean, roast lamb, roast beef, you name it, anything right. along those but lines. Nowadays they always put additives to them and put all oh, sorts yes. of things, different no, tastes. I, you want I, mean, I don't eat, unfortunately, although I have a passion for it. I don't eat uh, roly-poly pudding and oh, spotted yeah. dick baked jam roll. Although the other day I had some suet pudding in a restaurant. I very bravely said, oh, just bring what you like, you know. So I had three mountains piled on my plate with treacle all over them. Lovely. And then got through the first oh, one. Or <laughs> bread and butter pudding. Like a stone. Can you remember when you were young, first started watching cricket, bowlers taking these immensely long runs? Uh, no. Um, well, I think I, I saw Gregory. Well, I never uh, saw him. Uh, I saw McDonald's Gregory in 1926, which is yeah. dreadful. I saw him at Cheltenham. Ah. Um, and he seemed to have a pretty long run. Um, and, and then there was... Um, who was the chap who bowled all the no balls when he came over for um, Australia? The one that had a, oh, not, not uh, Tim Wall. Rock. 
Mm, McCormick. Oh, well, Ernie McCormick was very, uh, very uh, fast. Ernie, he had a long run, too. Very, very fast. I remember watching him bowl. He was, uh, but the fastest bowler I ever saw, and I actually saw him in Australia when I was a boy, was uh, Eddie Gilbert. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Who took about five okay. steps, and you never saw the ball at all. No, exactly. But he was almost a round arm bowler. He slung it. Yes, he must have been a terror. You heard the voice in the background. Did you ever see him play, Tom Graveney? Oh, many times, yes, indeed. Yeah. Many, many times. Very good golfer, too. Yes, well, we must... <laughs> yes. Because that's... Country that, cricketers. That is your other thing, besides really oh, playing yes. golf. Oh, I think you used to be one or two, if not better. I got down to one. There you got are, down you to see? one. Well, what did you get down to? I got down to one less than that. Did you? Yes, but oh, said, we not ought to anymore. Get up and, we ought to get up and Not bow. anymore, no, please. I don't think I could with my back. So who's the best, <laughs> who's the best player you've played with in golf? Have you played with the greats? I've been very lucky. After living in America for 10 years, I've, um, I have played with just about all of them. The only one I haven't played with is uh, Ben Hogan, which is impossible. I mean, you just don't get a game with Ben Hogan. He plays with his friends at Shady Oaks, here yeah. at Fort Worth in Texas, and that's it. But I played with Sneed and I played with Nelson. I had an incredible experience once in a tournament as the only amateur. They played in threes, one amateur and two professionals, and they were playing for an awful lot of money. So if you put it in the rough, they weren't going to come and help you look. And the very first day I played with Lee Trevino and Craig Stadler, and the second day with Johnny Player, sorry, Johnny Miller and Gary Player, the third day with Jerry Pate and Seve Ballesteros, and the fourth day with Greg Norman and Jack Nicholas. These are a few names you're dropping. Well, I'm just casting <laughs> casually, you know, aside. But uh, the reason I'm saying that is you can just imagine the state of near paralysis right. I got into with something like 20,000 people on the golf course. I'd never played, although I'd played in the amateur championship a couple of times, the English yeah. amateur. I'd never played with people lining the course from the tee to the green. Yeah, but it does save the slice going into the wood, doesn't it? Because it bounces against the crowd. Well, I, I'm more of a hooker than a slicer. Oh. <laughs> yes. And you, you also <laughs> tell me you played with Richie once, Richie Benner. I did indeed. Uh, I played with Richie both in Australia at the Australian, which was uh, revamped by Jack Nicholas a few years ago when I was filming out there. And uh, he took me around the course, which is a very, very tough course indeed. And before that, the first time I ever played with him was in one of these BBC pro-celebrity things. It was at Glen Eagles, and uh, in those days there were two amateurs, there still are for that matter, and two pros. Mm. The amateurs changed from match to match, the pros remained the same. We had Seve Ballesteros and Lee Trevino, and I think I was playing with Seve, and um, Richie was playing with Lee Trevino. And as we walked down the first fairway, which is amazing to relate, both Bono and I hit off the tee, which in itself is remarkable. As we walked down... I said, uh, we must try and enjoy this, mustn't we? Because it's pretty unnerving. And he said to me, unnerving? This is worse, far worse than going out to try and save the ashes. <laughs> well, I could listen to Johnners and Sir Christopher Lee chatting all day. And if you enjoyed that episode, there are many more available of our Test Match special, including the Formula One superstar Mark Webber, who I spoke to in 2011. I've always wondered, Mark, if, if I got in your car, <laughs> would I be able to drive it? Yeah, I could would I be able to get it? Would, yeah. would I be able to get to move? Yeah. yeah, I could get you to drive it. Yeah, I think. Um, what are you weighing at? I mean, what's your um, weight? Rather too much. Yeah, okay. well, I'm looking. You are rakishly thin, incidentally. And and ladies well, and gentlemen, he's turned down every piece of cake we've offered to him. <laughs> when I came in this morning, I saw the cakes. I and know. I thought, everyone's. Yeah, it was a it's not a good place for a Formula One driver. Box. Yeah, dangerous, man. Put me in yeah. your car. Come on. Yeah, man. your, your I, car. I, I think. Um, yeah, you would be. You'd be blown away, first of all, about the environment. You know, it's not it's not comfortable. So it's not really a, not comfortable. It's not like uh, you know, obviously a road car. Leather it's seats. Very very um, no leather seats, mate. No aircon. No radio. It's all very very harsh. There's two pedals to start with, so you haven't got three pedals. So I've only right. got throttle and a brake. The clutch is on the back of the steering wheel. 
So that'll be the first thing I'll have to talk you through. And then once the boys had fired the car up, we're in neutral. Uh, we'd need to pull a clutch on the back of the steering wheel. And you change gears by two little paddles behind the steering wheel, basically. So you'd pull pull one of the paddles and you'd see... Um, you'd, you'd feel the car go into gear. It's a bit like an automatic in a way, um, right. but it's not. It's still a manual gearbox. You need to still control it. Um, and then you'd slowly release the clutch... Uh, going away from you with your with your fingers the fine you know the details very 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 good the feel you have with your fingers is 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 fine so and then you drive out the pit lane and then you're on then you're out there mate really so it would uh yeah then the car would be very much uh would be laughing at you i think from that yeah. point onwards mate it'd be um yeah it would be uh the cars are designed to you know the tires the brakes everything you got to get they only perform well when they're when they when everything gets very, very hot and, you know, the brakes, the tyres, everything, you know, there's such right. a narrow band for the car to operate. Otherwise, they feel very awkward and clumsy. Uh, so Are they all the same? I mean, is yours the same as... as um, very similar, very similar. Uh, I mean, obviously, you know, from a car at the front of the grid, which is certainly ours uh, in the top few, to a car at the back, we're talking four seconds per lap, which is a lot in our game. Yes. You know, if you finish three or four laps behind in a Grand Prix, then obviously you, you, you're on a different planet. It'd be like, it'd be even, not even a comparison, me going out in the middle out there. You know, it's just, um, I know roughly what I'm doing, but you're not at the races, basically. Yeah. But the car, for you, would feel the same. I mean, everything would be similar, the downforce, all that sort of stuff. You wouldn't, because you're not going to test the car to the limit. So um, they're all basically the same, yes. And you can hear the whole interview via BBC Sounds. So to make sure you don't miss a thing, just hit the subscribe button. Classic View from the Boundary on BBC Sounds. Alan Shearer and Ian Wright are in my kitchen. Mm. What's going on here? The all-new Match of the Day Top 10 podcast, answering a huge football question every week. This has not been easy, has it? Like the Top 10 Premier League strikers. Firstly, I think it's really hard to have Shearer anywhere near the Top 10. (laughs) The Match of the Day Top 10 podcast. Only available on BBC Sounds. BBC Sounds. Music, radio, podcasts.